Hey, and welcome to the 12 Stone Church Podcast. Thank you so much for taking time to be a part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. It is so good to be with you, church. I have missed you. And I have had a wonderful time, and we've had great teaching. I'm glad to be back. Listen, listen. We should start right off the top with honoring God. We usually close, say, for God is good. You say all the time, and I say all the time, God is good. We should give that to God right off the top. So whatever campus you're at, if you're 12-stone home, if you're online community, you just deliver this with gusto. And right here at Sugarloaf, like, blow off the roof. You ready? For God is good. And all the time. He absolutely is. And you have picked a great day to be here. I cannot wait to lay out what God has for us today. But right off the top, you're going to have to tolerate a joke from the era of my childhood, the 60s and the 70s. So there's a Christian woman. And she wanted to buy a dress. She went to the store and She found a very expensive dress, way beyond budget, way out of line. But you know how that goes, and she tried it on, and well, she bought it, and she brought it home, and showed it to her husband that night. And when he saw the price tag, I mean, he just shuddered. What on earth? Honey, when you put on the dress, why, why, why did you say, get behind me, Satan? She said, oh, I did. And he said, it looks so good from the back. (laughs) You know, the devil made me do it. Became a catchphrase in the 70s. And it brings us to the conversation today, this idea of the devil and temptation. And I think we're all involved in this, but let's check. How many of you have ever been tempted? Just hands up wherever you are. How many of you have ever been tempted? All right, looks like the, the majority... How how many of you have ever sinned? You've fallen into temptation. How many of you have ever sinned? Hands up if you've ever sinned. Okay? Those of you who didn't have your hands up, just sinned. You're liars. (laughs) We know it. We're looking at you. We're judging. It's okay. How many of you ever suffered for your sin or the sin of someone else? Yeah. So, truth of the matter is, we're all in this subject. No one escapes. We've all sinned. We've all been tempted. And the real question then is, if there's so much cost to sin and so much suffering, how do we we beat temptation? Let's just go to the question. Here's the question of the day. How do you beat temptation? If you don't want to experience all the suffering and loss and setback and sorrow that goes with sin, how do you beat temptation? And that takes us to the Jesus Storybook Bible. This is where we are. This is where we've been. We're back in. We've been in the book of James over the summer, but we're back in the Jesus Storybook Bible. By the way, you've already been hearing the stories from campus pastors. This is having a profound effect on all of you as families. You get your kids together. You make this your devotional. In addition, we've discovered that literally a whole bunch of singles, a whole bunch of couples are reading this. This is anointed. It's profound. We've given some six 
thousand of these away since we started in January, just in this season. And it is marking our lives. That's what God's word does for us. It awakens us to truth. Gives us understanding. And so the next story is kind of two halves. The back half is Jesus telling, asking, calling his disciples to follow him. Follow me. Let's jump into that part of the story. Peter, Andrew, James, and John looked up at this man on the shore, Jesus, and they couldn't explain it. Their boats needed to be put away. Their nets needed mending. Fish were still wriggling on the shore, but something about this stranger made them just drop their nets and their fish, leave their boats and everything, and follow him. And what, everybody? Follow him. This God-man was like no one they had ever met. When they looked at Jesus, their hearts filled up with a wonderful forever sort of happiness. And inside it was as if they were running free in an open field. Jesus asked 12 men to be his helpers. Peter, Andrew, James, and John, Matthew, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, another James, Simon, Thaddeus, and Judas. Meeting Jesus would change all of them forever. Huh. Follow me. Why? Why did Jesus say, follow me? What's the big deal? Why follow me? Well, precisely because in the beginning, we didn't follow. In the Garden of Eden, we didn't follow Jesus. We followed Satan. See, to follow God, which is how everything started in the Garden of Eden, we're made perfect in love with God and all the beauty of his gifts and creation and the enjoyment of all the freedom that went with it. And we would follow him in our appetites and follow under his authority and follow him with our ambitions. And so that's precisely what Satan endeavored to attack. So here's how temptation plays out. Temptation. Satan is desiring to take you out of the garden and into the desert. And he goes after your appetites. So he went after Adam and Eve's appetites. He says, look at the forbidden fruit. Doesn't that look awesome? Temptation. Doesn't that seem like that that would taste good and satisfy you? Listen, it, if it looks that good, it has to be good for you. Make yourself happy. Your authority. Did God really say, don't eat or you'll die? If you sin, you die, you suffer. He, 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 that's not true. He didn't mean that. Listen, don't you want to govern yourself? I mean, be your own authority. Make your own decisions. Be open-minded. Come on. Step up. Try this fruit, this forbidden fruit. It will, it will elevate you. You'll be like God. In fact, that takes us right into ambition. I mean, don't you want to be kind of like God? Don't, don't, don't you have ambitions where you want to be elevated and celebrated? Why just worship him when you, when you can worship yourself? So we did. And we felt the temptation and we sinned. And with all the huge loss that went with it. And God didn't want to leave us in that place. 
So God so loved the world, he sent his only son, Jesus. So God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God the Son, Jesus, left heaven, came to earth. God, man, in one. In order to rescue us and call us back to following him. What we were created for, who we were created to be with, all, all that we were designed to be is in God. This is why Jesus said, look at, look at what he tells us in John. Satan said, that, Satan, the evil one, the thief, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full, real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. This is what's going on. This, this, this is the world you're in. This is what I'm offering. Then he goes on. Now, if you abide in me and my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, something's interesting. Between where we left off last week, which is the baptism of Jesus, the John the Baptist, where Pastor Jason left off teaching, the preparing the way, between the baptism of Jesus and where we are in this calling the 12 disciples, in between those two, something really significant happened. This is where Jesus delivered reality, a theology of reality, a theology of what, everybody? Reality. This is where he sets this theology of reality, where we experience the temptation of Jesus. Let's go back to the Jesus storybook Bible. Now, after Jesus was baptized, he went straight out into the desert. Now, that might seem like an odd place to go because, as you know, deserts are very hot and there isn't any food or water or places to stay. But Jesus needed to get away by himself and be somewhat quiet and lonely. He needed to be with his heavenly father to get ready for his new life. In the desert, Jesus thought about the secret rescue plan he had that he had made with God. Before the foundation of the world, they both knew what would have to happen to rescue God's children. Jesus would have to die. There, there, there was no other way. It was the reason he had to come. Now, the old enemy, the one who had spoken through the snake to Adam and Eve back in the garden, remember him? Well, he didn't want Jesus to rescue God's people, so he lied to Jesus. Are you really God's own son? He whispered, poor you. God must not love you. You don't need to die. Do it my way. Yes and no. No, Jesus said to the liar, I will do what God says. And from that moment on, nothing would ever be the same. Jesus wasn't like Adam. Jesus was a new kind of man. He would not believe the terrible lie that the enemy spoke. Jesus knew God loved him and he would trust God no matter what. It was just as God had promised to Adam and Eve all those years before. Jesus had come to do battle against the snake's work. He would get rid of the sin and the darkness and the tears. And he would suffer, but he would win. The story of Jesus' temptation. It's in Matthew 4. It's in Mark chapter 1 briefly. It's in Luke chapter 4. And it is here that Jesus gives us a theology of reality. And it seems like this has been lost so we're going to take some time in this segment of the teaching and give a theology of reality. I'm going to give you four points. You can jot them down. You take pictures of the screen. Get this in your head and your heart. If you've never been taught the theology of reality, the reality in which we live, then this right here is transforming to life. Four thoughts 
Here's the first one. You're in the biggest war on earth. You're in the biggest war on earth. It's a spiritual war whether you want to be in it or not. Whether you want to be in it or not, you're in, you and I, we're in a spiritual war. That's reality. That's the circumstance of our life. (laughs) And it seems that something has become common, far more common in the last decade, not just in the world that doesn't follow Christ, but it seems even among people who follow Christ, it goes something like this. I believe in, in, in Jesus and I try to follow him, but I don't believe Satan is like a real being. Like there's not a real Satan, a devil and demons. It's just a concept. I, it's really just God and me trying to decide whether or not I'm going to follow And I don't know that Jesus would do what I'm going to do next. But I think if he were here today, he would. I think he would use Pirates of the Caribbean. Like this would be his transition right there. And he would say, well, do you remember when Miss Turner didn't believe in ghosts? And so Captain Barbosa had to introduce her to reality. You're welcome. Here's a minute of it. The moonlight shows us for what we really are. We are not among the living, so we cannot die. But neither are we dead. For too long I've been parched of thirst and unable to quench it. Too long I've been starving to death and haven't died. I feel nothing. Not the wind on my face, nor the spray of the sea. Nor the warmth of a woman's flesh. You best start believing in ghost stories, Miss Turner. You're in one. (laughs) What are you looking at? Back to work. Okay, maybe Jesus wouldn't use it. And we're not promoting ghosts and skeletons are running around. That's not the point. Here's the point. To clarify that you better start believing in ghosts. You're in a ghost story. Hang on, what would Jesus say? You better start believing in spiritual warfare. You're in one. So just tell your neighbor right now, you're in one. Just tell him with a little bit of gusto, you're in one. Now that was not with gusto. Better start believing in spiritual warfare. You're in one. Just tell them again. You're in one. Yeah. See, it seemed when we reflected on the teaching that it's worth a few moments. So now I'm going to just take you to Bible school. Call it Bible 101, Satan 101. What does the Bible teach us about Satan? What is true? Because you need to understand the war that you're in. So I'm going to walk through, I wrote this out, I'm going to walk through several statements. Just sit, absorb them. I'm just going to walk through them, I'm not going to teach them, I'm just going to state them. Satan is a real being who was originally created as an angel. So God created Satan, his name is Lucifer. We find that in Isaiah chapter 14. It's talking about the king of Babylon, but we understand interpretation. They're likely referring to Satan who indwelt the king of Babylon. So he was given great beauty, great power, and great authority under God and over other angels. But then Satan got full of himself. 
and there was a war in heaven. Hmm. He started a war with God. And Satan was cast out of heaven. And, and all the rebel demons who joined him. And Lucifer became Satan, the devil. And the fallen angels became demons. And we got a war. Satan has no physical body. He's a spirit being. And therefore, he can move around and whisper in your thoughts and tempt you, speak lies into your mind, deceive you, even possess a person. Now, although he's powerful in comparison to human beings, Satan is maybe more powerful than us, but he's not God. He's not even equal to God. He's not a God. He's not, he's not omniscient. He doesn't know everything. So he's not aware of all things like God. He's not omnipresent. He's not everywhere present. So like God, he can't be everywhere at one time. So listen, Satan is just a singular being, a fallen angel who still retains the power that was originally given him, often now called an angel of light. A light bearer is what the name Lucifer means. But he doesn't know all things. And he can't be everywhere present. And therefore, it is unlikely that Satan has ever tempted you or me. We're not high enough up the food chain, okay? But we're tempted by the demons. And we're in a war with a real enemy and he is a liar. He is a what? Well, he's a liar who's come to kill, steal, and destroy. Have you ever had something stolen? Just anybody ever had something stolen? <sighs> ever have somebody get in your house, get in your garage, get in your car, get in your sacred space? Doesn't that, don't you feel like you're violated? I mean, there's something about that. It's like, you got it, my. I had my pressure sprayer stolen out of my garage after I used it. Just the garage door was open. I was in the house. Like, I can't believe that. Well, Satan's come to kill, steal, and destroy. He hates the cross of Christ. In fact, in the temptation of Jesus, he's trying to disqualify Jesus and take him out. And Satan, he can only tempt. Get this, he can only tempt. Listen, he cannot make you sin. While it's fun to say, the devil made me do it. The truth is, the devil can't make you do it. He, he really can't. You have to choose to sin. You got to know what's going on. You got to know what's going on in the warfare. You have to choose to sin. Satan can't send you to hell. You can send yourself. God never sends us to hell. We send ourselves. That's what sin does to us. And Satan, his eternity is sealed. He spends eternity in hellfire. And listen, he's not in charge of hell. He's tormented in hell. All right. All of that to let us know we have an enemy. 
We are at war. <laughs> and if you don't know that, you live in a delusion. You're not in the real world, which is why Paul wrote, look at Ephesians chapter 6. Paul says, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against, stand against the devil's schemes. For our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So if you're in middle school, if you're walking into high school, if you're walking into college, you're in a spiritual war. Whatever arena you're stepping into, you have an enemy. And Satan desires, here's number two, Satan desires, this is a theology of reality. Satan desires to deceive and destroy you. This is his goal, to deceive and destroy you, to deceive you. Jesus, Satan is called the father of lies. That's what Jesus described him. And his lies that, well, I don't exist. So if he could just get you to believe he doesn't exist, then you're not really being tempted by him. In fact, you would never follow him if you thought it was him. In fact, one of the ways he tempts us, the ways he lies, is he takes a half-truth and a half-lie, brings it together to be a whole lie. A half-truth, a half-lie to make a whole lie. Like one of them is, God loves you. Listen, listen, half-truth, half-lie. God loves you. And he wants you to be happy. And doing whatever you feel will make you happy. So therefore, whatever you feel cannot be sin. It has to be God's will. Now, there's truth in lying. That truth is God loves you. Truth is God wants you to be happy. But it's a lie to say, doing whatever you feel makes you happy. It's a lie to say it's not therefore sin. I, I, I wrote it this way. Let me just set it this way in my notes. Sex outside of marriage, it's how, kind of how Satan speaks to us. Sex outside of marriage, it's okay. We've progressed. Divorce, uh, no big deal outside of adultery. We've progressed. God wants you to be happy. I don't want you to be unhappy. Lie, envy, cheat, steal, gluttony, slander, divisiveness, gossip, lazy, self-worship, uh, redefine marriage or gender, identity, drunkenness, hatred. He did, don't, don't worry about this. Hatred, greed, give your word and, and then break your word. Indulge appetites, it's okay. No worries. And Satan attempts to be your friend when he's tempting you. He presents himself as your friend and Jesus as your foe. But as soon as you're done, he's out to destroy you. He gets seen for who he is. He is your foe. And Jesus was your friend. He's out to destroy. That's what he did to Adam and Eve. They lost their relationship with God. They lost their intimacy with each other. They were kicked out of the garden. They eventually lost their sons and they lost their lives. Like, man, this is fun. Man, let's talk about Satan and sin and temptation. Let's, this, is the, this is the theology of reality. The sober truth that Jesus was revealing in this temptation. Third, there's only two sides. Theology, rather, there's only 
two sides. There's, there's not a third, which means it's either Jesus or Satan. There's no third. There's no, I, I'm an option. I'm, I'm in Switzerland. I'm kind of neutral. It's kind of, I, I don't agree with Jesus. I don't agree with Satan, so I'm my own. Literally, Scripture, that's not the reality. What Jesus is presenting, this isn't true. You're following one or the other. Sober stuff. When does this get fun? When does the fun kick in? Oh, this is sober, true reality. This is where we live. Fourth, every sinful or holy choice has consequences. Forgiveness removes the eternal consequences, but rarely the earthly ones. So in other words, Jesus made it possible for us to be forgiven, but we need more than forgiveness. We need freedom. Those are the four summaries of the theology of reality. The war that we're in, the temptation that we're under, and how Satan goes after us. And before we can get to, well, then how do you conquer sin? How do you get free from sin? If sin is, if Satan's going to tempt us and it's going to undo us, and it's going to cost us everything, how do you get free from it? How do you beat temptation? Well, before we hit the practical, let's just summarize what Jesus went through. Because Satan tempted Jesus the same way he tempted Adam and Eve in the garden, and it's the same way he tempts you. With your appetites, authority, ambitions. Look what he did in the temptations of Jesus. He went after Jesus' appetites. Jesus went into the garden, which is interesting. Satan desires to take you out of the garden into the desert. Jesus went into the desert to take us back to the garden. Your appetites. So Jesus went into the desert and fasted for 40 days. Because he was disciplining his physical appetites to sharpen his spiritual appetites. He was saying the spiritual is greater than the physical. I know the war that I'm in. I understand the real world. And while he was there, Satan tempted him. The first temptation was, well, why don't you turn the bread, or the, the stone into bread? You're hungry. You have appetites. You have desires. Why don't you turn the stone into bread? Now, why was that really a temptation? Because that doesn't seem like a, a sin. How was that a sin for Jesus? After all, he is the son of God. And he is hungry. It's not like eating is, is bad. Let's overeat. Problem, but not for him. Why was it a sin? Well, I think there's a couple reasons. It was to disqualify Jesus to be Messiah. I think what Satan was really doing is, is saying to Jesus, access your power. See, Jesus had set aside his divine power. It's called in Greek the kenosis. He'd set aside his divine power. He was God-man. But I think what it did, he did is he set aside his divine power. He wasn't accessing it. And so that all the miracles Jesus performed, he performed by the will of the Father and the power of the Holy Spirit within him. Therefore, to turn the stone into bread in the moment would be to do the will of Satan in that moment rather than the will of God the Father. And Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Satan says, take a shortcut. Indulge. 
He goes after our appetites. He went after authority. He took Jesus to a high pinnacle. And on this high pinnacle of the temple, he said, throw yourself down and the angels will care for you. And he was quoting scripture when he said that. And Jesus said, ah, but that's to test God. Scripture also says, do not test the Lord your God. In other words, trust God, don't test God. Next, he tempted Jesus in ambition. He took him to a high mountain. He said, now let's look over all the kingdoms of the earth. And if you will just bow down to me, I'll fulfill your ambitions of people bowing down to you. Jesus resisted all of those temptations. He literally said, Satan, get behind me. In fact, you find those very words from Christ when he was with Peter. And after Peter revealed that you are the Christ, the son of the living God, and Jesus told him that he's going to have to go suffer and die on the cross to conquer Satan and sin. After all, why do we need rescuing if there's no spiritual war? Why do we need rescuing if there's no evil one? What do we need rescue from? If it is not to unfollow Satan, to follow Jesus and be restored. And when, say, when Peter said, no, no, it should never be that you would go through that kind of suffering, that you would go to the cross, Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Now, which is curious, because he literally says to Peter, get behind me. He's not really talking to Peter, but he knows that the voice of Satan was coming through Peter to get Jesus to walk away from the cross. Which is interesting. Because whenever you're tempted, you know what you're most afraid of? You're going to lose. Like you'll remain hungry and your appetites won't be fulfilled and God will leave you hanging. Like if you make God your authority and you stand against temptation, that you'll lose. That if you forfeit chasing your ambitions, your will, your way, that you'll lose. And what Jesus demonstrated in fact, if you play it out in the long story, as soon as Jesus resisted temptation, God sent the angels to feed Jesus. Uber Eats showed up. <laughs> Jesus was taken care of. Hang on. Don't be afraid to trust Jesus. God intends to fulfill your appetites his way in his time. Get this set in your soul because now we're going to get into the practical. You have an enemy. You're in a war. He's out to destroy you, your marriage, your family. And he's lying to you and to me. And he's telling you that if you don't fulfill your appetites, his way, his time, you're going to lose. And Jesus is modeling if you will trust the Father, his timing for your sexual appetites, financial appetites, material appetites. He'll fulfill. Jesus was not left hungry. He was fed in God's time. You know, it's interesting. Trust God's authority. 
And, the, and Satan said to Jesus, throw yourself down and the angels will lift you up. Don't go through the suffering of the cross. And when Jesus died on the cross and did get thrown down, what did God do? He raised him up from the dead. The very thing that Satan was telling Jesus to be afraid of, that God can't be trusted, God fulfilled. And Satan says, bow down to me. And what ultimately happened with Jesus at the end, every knee will bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In other words, everything Satan promised, as soon as Jesus trusted God and did it his way, God ultimately fulfilled. So, how do you beat temptation? Let's talk about it. Three thoughts kind of collect to summarize. How do you beat temptation? Jesus in me, Satan behind me, Christ followers alongside me. Just say him with me across the campuses, online, wherever you are. Jesus with me, Satan behind me, Christ followers alongside me. Ready? Let's say them together. I'll slow it down so we can join together. What's the first one? Jesus in me. The second one? Satan behind me. The third one? Christ followers alongside me. How do you conquer? How do you beat temptation? First of all, you're not doing all the work. Listen, Jesus already did. He's already done the work. He's already beat Satan and sin. He already died on the cross for your forgiveness, rose from the dead, and he has conquered Satan and sin. So hang on. All you have to do is access it, but he does more than forgive you. Listen, he does more than forgive you because you not only need forgiveness, which is staggering, he does more than that. He frees you from sin. So you don't have to sin. Perhaps the most misunderstood, one of the best parts of the grace of God through Jesus is you not only are forgiven, but you don't have to to sin anymore you don't have to wreck your life you don't have to mess up your life you don't need to keep sinning by the power of God in you Jesus in me you can experience beating temptation like Jesus did how Jesus in me the Holy Spirit in me the same Holy Spirit that was in Jesus is in you so what do you do? You, well, just call on Jesus. I know it's just a, it's overly simplistic, but it's not. It's profound. As soon as you sense temptation, just say, Jesus, help me. Jesus, help me. Speak his name. Call on him. Engage him. Hmm. When I was in elementary school, I was short. I went to the front of all the pictures for group pictures. Anybody know what I'm, any of you know what I'm talking about? Like you go do a group picture, you'll always see me. Because I always say short people to the front. I was always at the front. All our school pictures. Johnny Schultz was bigger than me. And he was my enemy. He was Satan. Tommy Breen, he was bigger than Johnny. Now, I was short. I had fast feet, fast mouth. I was mouthy. I got myself in trouble. I still do. But I figured out how to do life. Don't fight Johnny alone. Call on Tommy. Because <laughs> while Johnny is bigger than me, Tommy's bigger than Johnny. 
Let's not make this too complicated. If it's not clear, Satan is bigger than you. Jesus is bigger than Satan. Every time you face temptation, call on Jesus. Don't fight Satan alone. Amen? Don't fight him alone. Second, get behind me, Satan. I'm going to pause right here for a minute. You know why you don't hear these teachings very often anywhere, anymore? Because nobody wants to talk about the reality of Satan. Nobody wants to preach it because they know the temptation they will face just in talking. You know, I can entertain a room. But to teach in a room about Satan, it is hard to talk about. It is hard to hear. I'm not entertaining us today. I'm addressing the subject nobody wants to talk about. We have an enemy. We're in a spiritual war, and he's out to destroy you. And he does not want this conversation. Don't kid yourself. It's as hard to talk about as it is to hear. This isn't entertaining. This is transforming. And you not only have to call on Jesus, you have to say, Satan, get behind me. Satan, get behind me. Satan, I can't have you, have you between me and the Father. You need to get behind me. The spiritual life the relationship with God is not figuring out how close you can get to sin and still go to heaven. It's how close you can get to Jesus because you're going to heaven. Satan, get behind me. I think sometimes you literally have to say it. I just say the word, Satan, get behind me. I have on hundreds of occasions, thousands. And there was a prompt, and I'm just going to honor it. Some of us who are followers of Christ are caught in sin right now. We're living like we're married when we're not. We're indulging appetites in ways that are not honoring to God. We're undermining his authority and redefining sin and calling evil good and good evil. We're supporting others who do the same. We're wrestling through ambitions and we're getting caught up. And the Spirit of God would just tell you right now, you, listen, you've not only been forgiven, you've been freed up. You don't have to sin. If you would just admit it and confess it and battle it, he will forgive you, restore you, free you, and transform you here forward. Yes? Yes? Maybe today that's what you have to do. And it's not just the big stuff, it's the little stuff. Marsha and I just celebrated 40 years of marriage this summer. Yeah, it's awesome. And marriage works because marriage works every time you're selfless and it is unraveled every time you're selfish. You got that, right? We went to France and we came back from France and we had four bags and 
in France, the, the, the handlers were baggage handlers and others were on strike. And so we were afraid we weren't going to get our bags. And we didn't. We got here, no bags. And what you realize is stuff isn't important until you don't have it. And I didn't care about my stuff until I wasn't getting it. And then we're like, man, we need our stuff. Stuff's not important, God, as long as I have it. It's like money. I don't care about it as long as I have it. And then after a day, two days, three days, we ain't got our stuff. We can't figure it out. We can't find our stuff. They can't find where our stuff is. And then they notify us we have one bag coming. One of your stuff's coming. And I, you know what? Marsh is distraught. I'm distraught. We're frustrated. And by the way, I'm not pretending. Like, I wouldn't tell you. Like, I don't want you to know this. But I'm, I'm this is how I'm really thinking. Like, this is going to drive me nuts. Oh, Lord, let it be Marsha's bag. She needs her bag. <laughs> it's a very selfless prayer. And you know what? The bag showed up. It was Marsha's. And I said, thank you, Jesus, for Marsha. And a day later, I'm like, yeah, but where's mine? <laughs> and then the next day. We still don't have it, and they're sending me notes. Fill it out because you're not going to find your bags. And I got mad. One morning, I was in my devotions. I know you never did this, but I was mad. I was in my devotions. I said, God, what are you doing? He said, what do you mean? I answered your prayer. I said, yeah, but I didn't mean it. <laughs> I didn't really mean to take care of Marsha and not me. Because at the core of my being, I'm selfish. Any selfish people. Listen, the majority of what you're standing against is your own selfishness, and Satan is feeding on it. You got to say, get behind me, Satan. Yes? Get behind me, Satan. This is killing our marriages and our families and our relationships. Because the war behind every war in your marriage and your family with your kids and among one another and in the church and between countries is fueled by the spiritual war. That is the war behind every war. So we need to help each other and come alongside one another. That's part of what the church's whole design. Ecclesiastes says, pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. You know, part of what happened in the pandemic is a whole bunch of us got disconnected, never reconnected. And maybe, like no other time, a whole bunch of Christians fell into sin over that two years. And one of the ways God has designed for you to get out and conquer and beat temptation is get reconnected. Next week, we open the doors to small groups, plan to get in on it. Every month, we invite you into Growth Track. Give us three weeks. We'll help you figure out how you're spiritually designed and how you get engaged in serving in community because you got to engage in life bigger than your own. Be with others who are on the same journey so you can beat temptation by the power of God in you. See, if I, if I didn't have other brothers and sisters in Christ alongside me, I would fall and hardly get up. So I'm going to turn the service over to the campus pastors. We're going to pray over you. And part of this prayer is that you'd wake up to the spiritual war. But more than that, that you'd have an awareness that God is with you. And that you can be more than forgiven. You can be set free. 
Thank you again for spending time with us today. A special thanks to those of you who generously give through 12 Stone. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about 12 Stone, make sure you follow us on social at 12 Stone Church and check out a location or a watch party near you. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you could subscribe, share it with your friends, hit the share button, or even take a screenshot and throw it in your social stories. And make sure to tag 12 Stone Church. Let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one.